you take your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our replay series, and we're talking about some of the greatest faith plays of all time. And uh, so far, we've, we've talked about Abel, we have talked about Abraham, and we've talked about Noah, and today we're going to talk about Moses. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think we talked about Moses not too long ago, but... Today I'm going to talk about him in a little bit different light, and I want to talk to you about his faith. And this morning, I pray that we can not just see this story from a historical standpoint, but to see it from a, a practical standpoint, and see that, that God dealt with people in the Old Testament, and uh, God deals with people in the New Testament, and the truth is, is God is, has never changed, and God still deals with people in the same way, in a personal, relational way. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. I, I am very thankful that God still deals with us in a personal, relational way. And um, He's called us to live a life of faith, just like He called these great men and these great people, the men and women uh, throughout Scripture, to live life uh, out of a great faith in Him. And let's just review for just a minute so we can know what kind of faith we're talking about. When we talk about faith, we're not just talking about a set of religious beliefs, but we are talking about belief. And I gave you these a few weeks ago, but you can just write them down. BFF, God's our best friend, right? And He's called us to trust in Him. First is to believe that He exists. He is the creator of the universe, and He has called us to believe that He exists. <clears throat> the second thing about faith is He has called us to fully trust, to have full assurance in Him that He is uh, that His Word is true and that He is faithful. And third, He has called us not to just believe and to fully trust, but He's called us to follow Him into the unknown. God has called us to surrender our lives to Him and to trust that He is leading us to a great place. He is going to do great things for Himself and for His kingdom through us if we will surrender our lives to Him. And there's great reward for that, He tells us in Scripture. And this morning, we're going to be talking about how He led these people, specifically Moses. And so, for all of those who are listed there in Hebrews chapter 11, it was this kind of faith that characterized and defined their relationship with God. It was a relationship of faith. It was a relationship of, of fully trusting and having full assurance in God. And it was a faith that led them to follow even when they didn't know when God or where God was leading. And that faith was uh, decided and it was determined by and it was actually revealed by the choices that these people made every single day of their life. And you can write this down just kind of as an introduction on your note sheet that we provided for you. Just write this down that my faith is revealed by the choices I make every day. My faith is revealed by the choices that I make. The fact is, is life is a series of choices we make. The most powerful words in the human language today, uh, the most powerful two words are yes and no. That's how we decide. It's yes and no. And with each yes and no, we're either making a decision, uh, a, a good choice or a bad choice. We're making those good decisions or bad decisions. And every day and every circumstance presents another opportunity for us to make the right choice. So every experience in life is an opportunity to make the right choice. Either you grasp the opportunity for the glory of God or you choose the way of the flesh, the way of the world, the way of Satan, as the Bible would put it. See, this is life. Life is about choices we make every single day of our life. Napoleon used to say, in every battle there is 10 or 15 minutes 
There's a 10 or 15 minute window or period of time in which the issue of the battle is settled. To gain this is victory. To lose it is defeat. So life is about opportunities. It's about choices to do the right thing or the wrong thing. It's to say yes or to say no. And when we look at the life of Moses, Moses' life was the way it is. It was characterized by these two things. It was about yes and no. And it was about actually making the right choice. He was a man who made the right choice. When faced with circumstances and opportunity, he chose to believe God, to believe the revelation of God and to live a life of faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, this is what it says about him in verse 23. He's kind of got to break this down a little bit for us. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And so from the very beginning, Moses had a heritage of faith. And by the providence of God, Moses had been protected for faith's sake. And this is kind of what was going on. The Pharaoh was the, the guy who was the most powerful man in the kingdom. Okay, He was the one in control. He was like king. And the Pharaoh had put out a decree or an order that all of the Hebrew babies should be killed. And, and for those of you uh, who don't know, this is kind of how why the Hebrews were under the rule of the Egyptians. It's because they had fled their own land because there was a famine. And they had gone into Egypt to find food. Back in the, this kind of the story of, of Joseph, descendants of Abraham. So they came into Egypt and they were in slavery there to the Egyptians for over 400 years. So this is their in their time of slavery, kind of coming to the end of the, that that 400 years. And this is kind of what's going on. The, the Israelites, the Hebrews had grown and they were really about to outnumber the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh saw this. He saw that there was going to be a lot of power that, that could be exhibited and could kind of maybe overtake him. And so he declared that all these Hebrew babies should be killed to kind of cut down on the population of the Hebrews. And so by faith, Moses' parents, they made a decision. So what they did, they'd hid him for a little bit. They had hidden him, and, they had, uh, and when they couldn't hide him anymore, it says that they made a basket, and they pitched it with pitch. In other words, they sealed it. They put the baby in it, they put him in the Nile River, and they watched him float away. And they were trusting in the providence of God to lead him to safety. They believed that their son had a special gift, this special exuberance and beauty and calling upon his life, and they couldn't bear to see what was ordered to take place happened to their child. And so they set him into the river and watched him float away. And this is how Exodus chapter 2 says it in verse 3. It says, when they could no longer hide him, she, talking about his mother, took an ark. Okay, they took an ark. And the ark is the same word that we... Remember, we, we learned this word. Terah. It's a Hebrew word. Terah. And it is the word for ark or basket. It's the only other place other than when we're talking about Noah's Ark that we're going to see this word. So she took an ark and she made it of bulrushes for him. And she daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off. So keep this in mind. This is talking about Moses' sister. So she watched the parents put him in the river. And as the basket began to float away, she's walking along. 
at, at a comfortable distance and she's watching this basket just float down the river. And it says, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. So there was absolutely no way that she would not be able to tell that this was a Hebrew child. And she looked at this baby and she felt sorry for it. She knew what her father had decreed, but she felt sorry for the baby. And she said, oh, this is a children of the Hebrews. And she wanted the baby for herself. And and then you know what happens? The sister comes up and says, hey, would you like me to go find a woman of the Hebrews to nurse the baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, hey, that's a great idea. And so the, 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 the scripture goes on in verse seven, says she'll go call it a nurse for you from the Hebrew women. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother, Moses' mother. So the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. I will pay you to nurse your own baby is what she was saying. So the woman took the child and nursed him. It's an incredible story of how this all unfolds. It's just about the sovereignty and the providence of God and, and how he has the rule and reign over our lives. And it just so happens that he is now officially adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But she can't nurse him. And she wants him to be properly nursed by his Jewish mother. And it just so happens that her daughter Miriam is going along watching for her little brother. And she makes it happen to be nursed by his own mother. And so Moses was born into a family of faith. So there's all purpose behind how this all unfolded. Moses was born into a family of faith. His parents take a great risk to save his life. And by the providence of God, he was saved and returned to her. But the circumstances are a little different now. In verse 10, this is what it says. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of water. And so for a span of time, Moses' own mother nursed him. She cared for him. She raised him. And when the time was right or when the time had had uh, had come, Whenever Pharaoh's daughter had set that time, I guess, then she, the baby was returned to the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, I'm not sure how long Moses was um, under the care of his own mother. Some believe that it was until he was weaned, and so that would have been at age two or three. Can you imagine nursing a baby for three years, ladies? Come on. No, it ain't happening today, right? But they nursed him for a long time. I mean, the kid was practically talking to his mom while she was nursing. It's just the reality. It's just the way they did it. And so she nursed him till he was three or four. Some believe that, that it was then that she returned the baby to uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Others believe that he was like 10 or 12 before he was returned to his uh, adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter. And this is what I tend to believe. And this is why. Because if he had been... If he, if he had been raised by his own mother until he was 10 or 12, it would have been enough time for him to be properly trained in the ways of the faith. For him to be properly trained in what it meant to serve God, the God of the Hebrews, and what it meant to be holy. And for him to learn the promises that God had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
and Joseph to learn that heritage and to learn God's plan for Israel, that there would one day be a deliverer, someone that God would raise up to lead his people out of Egypt to the promised land, and that one day he would bring forth a Messiah who would save the world. And they wanted him to know this. They desperately wanted their child to learn this. And so I believe that he was like 10 or 12 years old before he was returned. And said, so we don't know what his mama knew. We don't know how it all unfolded. Maybe she just felt it, that her son was special. Maybe she just knew that he was going to be great. I mean, we all tend to want our kids to be great. and We believe that there's greatness in them, right? We want to believe that, that God created them for something awesome and special. We want success and blessing for our children. But I think for her it was something different. I think it was a word of revelation from God about her boy. And by faith she believed it. And by faith she taught him. And by faith she spoke a prophetic word over him. And as he grew, he began to 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 know this and believe this. And it was formed in him. And this desire was put in his heart to want it. Not success or power or fame or prestige, but to want to do what God had destined for him to do. And so she instilled this in Moses. You're the hope of Israel. And they made a move of faith. And so let me relate this first to parents. <clears throat> if you are, if, let me back up. If our children are ever going to be secure in their relationship, their relationship with you, the relationship with God and in their identity, you have to be secure in yours. You have to know who you are in God, in Christ. You have to know that. If you're going to lead them well, so many times growing up, you know, I um, I had friends that, I mean, I lived out in the country and everybody was Christian, right? We had this family that moved in, I was probably third or fourth grade, and they weren't really that Christian and they didn't go to church and they would tell me they'd have church in their house and their dad would kind of lead that. And, and really what their dad would do is he would just, he would just talk positively to them and say, Hey, we want you to make your own decisions and have your own faith. Hey, don't let your kids have their own faith. Okay. Make it this way. You teach them your faith and you be secure in that relationship and you teach them what you know and who God is to you. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. I don't know how old that is, but the Bible says they won't depart from it. And you give them truth. You give them who God is and what God created them to be. And, and this is what Moses' parents did. Moses' parents let go of what was good for something greater. And that is what God has called us to do. So in your notes, let go of what is good in hopes of something greater. See, we're not raising our kids for success or prestige or fame. We're raising our kids... For the greatness of God, for them to experience the greatness of God in their life. And so point them to Jesus, point them to the Lord and let him form that in them. See, it's about relationship and it's about resources when we're raising our kids. Listen to this. A couple of years ago, I read this article in Forbes magazine and that talked about why great business professionals get an F in parenting. And this is very interesting. It says this. It says, despite all the brains and confidence, powerful, successful executives and professionals often have more trouble raising their kids than all but the very poor. 
It goes on and says that the intensity and single-mindedness that is required for business success are often opposite of the qualities needed to be an effective parent. See, we're in a world where we are unconsciously being squeezed into this mind trap that says, if you financially provide, if you have all the nice stuff and all the nice clothes, if you are um, in a good school and you have access to the best educational tools and you give them all the best technology like iPods and iPhones and iPads, all those great things that we use today and think we can't live without. If they're involved in sports, I mean football and baseball and basketball and dance and ballet and piano, I mean, there are a lot of activities that are trying to suck the life out of us. And I mean, I look around, I see that a lot of people have bought into that. I love sports. In fact, the Cowboys and the Texans play next week. Wear your jerseys, okay? I'm going to be preaching a message. This is timeout right here. Call it timeout. Um, I'm going to be preaching this message called um, Whose Side on you, Are You On Anyway? And I'm going to be talking about Joshua. And so wear your jersey. Come ready to duke it out. If you want to go to lunch or come over to my house, you can come over and watch the game with me. I hope the Cowboys win by one point. At least, right? And so, do what? By more. By more. Uh, amidst all the Texans jerseys today and t-shirts. Okay, uh, timeout's over. So, that's the message for next week. But here's what I want you to understand. Is that people think that they've made the sacrifice when they provide those things for their children. They think they've made the sacrifice and they're willing to do it. I mean, I know a lot of people who are making that sacrifice, but can I tell you, it's the wrong sacrifice to make. It's the wrong one. You're making the wrong sacrifice if that's where you're putting your time and your money to thinking that your child is going to be the next quarterback of the Houston Texans or to think they're going to play for the Houston Astros. I mean, you got a better shot of getting struck by lightning than that happening. I mean, it happens. People are in the leagues and they're making the millions, but it's probably not going to happen to your kid. If it does, awesome. I think, I think that's awesome. Uh, if it does, it may be great for you. But you're pursuing the wrong thing if that's where you're putting all your time and money trying to make that happen. Because here are the real resources that matter. There are five resources in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know who wrote Deuteronomy chapter 6? Moses wrote Deuteronomy chapter 6. He wrote it from experience, but he also wrote it from revelation from God. I believe God gave this to him, but I believe this is also how he raised it. Moses may have been the first blogger, okay? He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He He's just thinking one day, and God's pouring into him, and he writes these things down, and he's going to pass them on to the children of Israel. And I mean, these, this is great stuff. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel. He's talking to the people of Israel. This is after he's leading them. It says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words... Make it available for your kids. Show them what you believe. Pour truth into them. And here are the five resources. Number one is doctrinal truth. Doctrinal truth. 
Doctrine is, it's basically a system of beliefs, but it's, it's the, it's the tenets of your faith. It's what you believe. So in a world of relative truth, we want to show our kids what absolute truth is. And what is that truth? The Lord is one. There are a lot of ways you can take this, but just basically what he's saying is, there is one Lord. There's one God. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, the way the New Testament puts it. And so there's one. And we, we trust in Him. And not only do we trust in Him, but we obey Him. And we make Him not just God of the universe, but we make Him Lord and Master over our lives. We trust Him. What He does, or what He says, we do. We obey the Lord. So pour into them doctrinal truth. Number two is your second, your second resource is personal devotion. Personal devotion. You have to model this, by the way. This is, this is not, this is not so much taught as it is caught. You have to model personal devotion. He says, love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and strength. And so you want your kids to, to see you devoting your life to the Lord. And you pray that they will do the same. Third, biblical knowledge. It says, these words I'm commanding you shall be on your heart. So it's not just something you know, it's something that's in here, it's part of, of who you are. You must know the Word and know where to take your child as you're, as you're parenting them. Now, I, I tend to tell stories about my parenting and, and leading my kids. And uh, in a lot of ways, I've, I've, pointed, I've pointed them to the Lord and I have... Um, um, hopefully done a pretty good job of that. But I have people tell me, you know, well, uh, you're telling us to do this, but, but you're a pastor. I mean, I'm sure it's different for you than it is for us. I mean, you're, you're the holy man, right? Can I just, can I just, here's a little secret. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I struggle to, on purpose, Pray with my kids every day. Read Scripture with them every day. Have God conversations with them every day. Sit down and do a lesson out of the Bible with them every day. I mean, I struggle with this. I've struggled with this my whole life. Why? Hey, life's busy. And I'm human. I struggle like you. And so, let's do this. Let's just say, no excuses in this, alright? Yeah, we struggle, but we have to make the choice. We have to say yes every day that we're going to do this. Yes every day that we're going to pour into our kids biblical truth, biblical knowledge, personal devotion. And so we read the Word, we hear the Word, we listen to it, and we apply it. We teach it. So how do we teach it? Here's the four things. Systematic, systematic instruction. You do it on purpose. You teach them diligently is what it says. This isn't haphazardly. It means intentionally, carefully, meticulously, persistently. It means you have to overcome the struggle to do it. You have to overcome the tiredness. And you have to overcome the clock. I mean, before we know it, that it's late, man, it's bedtime, it's bath time. Hey, hurry up. Get in, the, get in the bed. School tomorrow. If you don't, you're going to be tired. And then we look back, hey, what's the thing that we left out? So systematically instruct your kids. Make it important enough to put on your calendar and do it. Here's number five, teachable moments. 
This is where I do most of my teaching. I'm not real good at the systematic instruction. I'm pretty good at the teachable moments. Um, so I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying you can't do this. I'm saying you should do this. And um, I learned this by a guy named Chip Ingram. Have you ever heard of Chip Ingram? Uh, Chip actually taught these five things I'm giving you, and I stole them from him several years ago. And so I am passing them on, okay? But I learned about teachable moments because I heard Chip Ingram talk about teachable moments and how he led his kids that way. And I said, man, that's, that's one thing I need to learn, and I need to be intentional about it. And so this is what a teachable moment is. See, the first, the systematic thing, the systematic instruction, it's formal instruction. This is informal instruction. This is as you're, as you're going, as you're doing life together. You, you see things that happen and you take advantage and you bring a lesson from it. And you do this until you can give the keys to your kid. Driver's ed is a great illustration. It's as we're going. It's, I'm going to get in the car, and I'm going to drive, and you're going to watch. And then, we're going to get in the car, you're going to drive, I'm going to get in the car with you, and, you're, and, and I'm going to watch. That's the hard one. You get in the car, and you watch. But here's the really hard one. is when they get their driver's license, and you give them the key, and they drive down the road for themselves. With you... On the curb, crying. That's what happens. So parents, if you've never been there, prepare yourself. It's going to happen, okay? It's going to happen. But you give them the keys and they drive away and you just have to trust the Lord. You have to trust that you taught well and that you modeled well. I don't know if driving is a good way to model. Let me back. That's maybe not the best illustration. Um, but anyway... We'll move on. The teachable moments, systematic instruction. Use those things to lead your kids. This is how Moses was raised. This is how Moses developed his faith. It was parents who systematically and intentionally taught their son for about 10 years. And then we move on in Exodus chapter 2. We ended in verse 10. And from verse 10 to verse 11, there are about 40 years of a gap in Moses' life. About 40 years. So Moses is maturing and according to Acts 7.22, these were years that he was was being trained in, in Egypt. So he leaves his mom and dad, he goes to Egypt, and now he's being instructed in the ways of the Egyptians. And so he started out with his foundation of life. This foundation of his life was the truth of God. It was revealed uh um, it was revealed by his parents. It was revealed by God up to this point in his life. And so now he's being taught the ways of the Egyptians. And this is a huge moment for him. It's that crisis point. It's that crisis of faith. What is going to grip his heart? That's what I ask myself about my children. When they leave my house, what's going to grip their heart? And I'm sure Moses' parents had that concern. They had that question. But it was Moses who was going to have to make the yes or no. It was Moses who was going to have to decide what was going to grip his heart. Is it the power of Pharaoh or is it the power of God? Is it dynasty or is it destiny? What is it? Is it, is it being the, uh, is it the idea of being a prince or is it the conviction? Is it the conviction of being a child of God 
in what God had called him to do for his people. It's a crucial decision that he was facing. And at this point in his life, he's actually about 40 years old. And the Bible says that he grew up and he reached the age of maturity. And for those of you who don't know, 40 is now the age of maturity. 40 is the new 21. Hey, I'm 40, by the way. I'll be 41 in about a month and a half. And uh, so I'm finally mature. Some would beg to, to differ. I promise. But he's 40. Says he reached the age of maturity. And so now he faces this decision. Am I going all in with the, with the Egyptians or am I going back to my roots? Am I going back to what my parents taught me? What my mom and my dad poured into me? Am I going to do what they told me? Am I going to be um, who they said I am? Am I going to rise up, believe God, fully trust Him, and follow Him into the unknown? That is what Moses was facing. And so he grew up and he had to make that choice. And you say, well, what, what choice would that be? Well, he had to make it. And, and here's kind of how that that unfolded when you have to make a choice um, of this magnitude it's not easy I make choices every day that are, are difficult whether it's a personal decision to do something that I, I know I should do or to not do something that I know I shouldn't do I have to make the choice and the most powerful words are in my head, but only one's going to roll off my tongue. I can't say yes and no at the, at the same time. But when you look at, at Moses, he was faced with this decision because he was now engulfed in royalty. He knew what it meant to be a prince. He knew what it meant to be king. He knew what it meant to live in prestige. I mean, he lived in the house of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was the most powerful person at this time in history. He knew what it meant to be comfortable. He knew what it meant to be wealthy. He knew what it meant to have servants. And he knew that it was all his if he would just stay with it. But there was this fire that was raging on the inside. There was this burning on the inside and it was getting out of control and he couldn't contain it. And it was God saying, Moses, I've called you for something special. I've called you for greatness. Not the greatness of the house of Pharaoh, but I've called you for greatness for my people. Moses, I've called you to this. And he couldn't stand it. And because that rage was building up, he goes out, he kills an Egyptian to save a Hebrew. And then he has to flee for his life. And for 40 years, Moses spent... Time on the backside of a desert herding sheep for the next 40 years. Professor in college, in Bible college, once explained it this way. He says that for the next 40 years of Moses' life, this is what happened. That God took a somebody to the backside of the desert to teach them how to be a nobody so that he could make them a somebody for him and his glory. Sometimes it takes 40 years for God to take that somebody out of you so he can replace it with somebody else. His Holy Spirit. His presence. And that's what God put into Moses. In Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says this, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That was the choice Moses had to make. And so, he knew what it meant to let go of the good for something greater. And then second, he knew what it meant to refuse to fit in and to rise up and to follow God's plan. He knew what it meant to choose to refuse. That's what Moses did. That's who Moses was. In verse 26 it says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Did you see that? He he esteemed Christ. Hey, I thought this was in the Old Testament. Did you know that Christ has always existed? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Christ has always existed. When He had the burning bush experience, you know who it was who appeared there? It was God, yes, but God in human form is Christ. It was Christ that appeared there and told him he had a special plan for his life. Verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured because even though God is invisible, he could see him. He placed his faith and trust in him. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So to put it in our context today, faith resists and rejects the world. It refuses what the world has to offer. It refuses it. It doesn't mean that everything that the world has to offer is bad. It just means that when it comes into competition with what the world has to offer and what God has to offer, faith chooses what God has to offer. When the world says this is the way to success, this is the way to prestige, this is the way to greatness, over here God says no, this is the way to prestige. This is the way to greatness. This is the way to holiness. There's a different way. There's a different way. That's why the Bible says, hey, come out from among them and be separate. First John tells us that it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that the world offers. And so the disciples, the disciples in the New Testament knew what Scripture taught. They knew what Jesus taught. Matthew 19, 27, they said, we have forsaken all to follow you. That's what Moses did when he heard the call of God upon his life to live by faith. He forsook all that he knew, all that he could have for this invisible promise that God gave him. Just like He gave to Noah and just like He gave to Abraham. And He chose to serve and live by faith. And we know, we know the outcome. We know the things that Moses did. I mean, he stood against Pharaoh. He was, he was a shepherd on the backside of a desert, learning how to be a nobody. Learning how to herd sheep. Learning how to lead them in the wilderness. So he could learn how to lead God's people through the wilderness. And God gave him a staff and 
That's what he used. And he led the people to the banks of the Red Sea. And as he put the staff in the river, what did God do? God rolled back the waters and he gave them a way out and a way of deliverance. And they crossed over. Every one of them, about two million people were safe on the other side. And God killed the Egyptians. Now a new part of life, a new stage of life for uh, Israel and for the Hebrews. It was to make their way across the wilderness. And God would provide bread and God would provide meat when they complained for it and needed something else. And God gave it. And then they needed something to drink. And he took a branch like this. And God said, hey, I want you to throw the branch into the bitter waters. And I'm going to make the water sweet so you can drink it. And by faith, he took that branch and he threw it into the water and it became sweet and quenched the thirst of Israel. And he traveled on. He traveled on. And there came a time in Numbers 21 when God had given a great opportunity for Israel to not only survive, but to thrive as a people. And they had... They had survived battles. They had survived uh, hunger. They had survived uh, uh, the wild. But some rose up and began to complain. And again, they said to Moses, Moses, why did you lead us out here into the wilderness to die? It would have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt. We were safe there. We were comfortable there. And because they complained, it says that God sent snakes, serpents, and the fiery serpents is what it says. And these fiery serpents, whatever they did, whether they spit venom or whether they bit them, I don't know what happened, but the people began to die. It says that many Israelites died. And when you have a, a bunch of people around and you're seeing people getting bit by snakes and they're dying and they're, they're falling and they're, they're losing their life because they complain, what are you going to do? You're going to cry out, Moses, do something, right? And when they cried out to Moses to do something, Moses cried out to God. And this is what God said. He said, Moses, I want you to make a serpent. I want you to make a serpent. And so Moses made a bronze serpent. And he said, Moses, I want you to put it on your staff. And I want you to raise it up. And I want you to tell the people that anyone who will look up to the serpent, they'll be healed and they'll be saved. Let me ask you a question. Would it take a lot of faith for you to do that? Let's just let's just say, hey, Clearpoint Church, God spoke to me. I need all your earrings. I need I need all your rings. Just pass them on in. Pass them on in. We're taking up an offering here. We're passing the plate, right? Pass them on in. Uh, this is going to save you. This is going to save you. This is going to do it. This is the trick. How many of you are passing your jewelry in right now? Anybody? Hey, there you go. We got one woman of faith right here. Hey, um, hey, do we have any ushers that can take up these people's jewelry right now? Listen, you probably think your pastor had kind of fallen off his rocker, that he kind of lost it. What's he doing? I've seen some crazy things that pastors have done within the last week, and they, they got fired. We don't want a crazy man leading us. But Moses said, hey, pass it all in, pass it all in, and he takes it, he melts it down. And he makes this serpent and he puts it up on his staff and he lifts it up and the people look up to the serpent. And God healed them and God saved them. What was it about the serpent that saved the people? 
Was it anything? Or was it just the foolishness of their faith that caused them to trust in their leader who trusted in God to look up to a serpent on a stick? I think it was the faith. Let me share with you something else. John chapter 3, verse 14 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You know who's speaking these words? It's Jesus Christ Himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, the the Old Testament stories are relevant for today. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament. That's why we don't throw it out. That's why we preach the Old Testament. Because it was just a type and a picture and a symbol of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And He says, if anybody will look up, if anyone will lift me up, they'll be saved. If you'll just look up, if you'll just look unto Jesus, He's going to save your life. More than that, He's going to save your soul. And we're going to trust that. That's why everything we do around here, it's not just about relationships. Everything flows out of one relationship. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ that we believe is the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says, He who has begun a good work in you, He'll complete it. And that work that He has begun in us is a work of faith. And He's saying, hey, I know you believe that my Father created the world. Not everybody, but hey, most of you here today, you believe that God created the earth. Most of you here today believe that this book that I hold in my hand is the the Word of God. It's the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And that what it says is true. You believe that. You believe you can trust it. You may not understand it, but it's trustworthy. And what I find is that we tend to believe it when it makes sense. God called Moses to do some things that just didn't make sense. And then God did something that just didn't make sense. He put His Son on a tree, on a cross, on a mountain, to be crucified and said, if you'll just believe what I'm telling you about this man, I'll save you. I'll save you. Saving means that it's appointed unto man once to die in this world. I'm 40 years old. I'll be 41 in a few weeks. I look in the mirror and I realize I need a Botox party. Okay, I've got a lot of wrinkles. I wasn't born with wrinkles. I wasn't born with this at all. I mean, I wasn't born pretty, but I wasn't born with this. And I realized that my body is wearing out. It's wearing down. It's, I mean, I'm not as old as some of you, don't get me wrong. But I'm, I'm kind of feeling it here. Alright? Hey, I'm just being real. I mean, look at the person next to you and tell them they're old, okay? Just, just help me out here. Hey, you're old. Randy, don't say it. Don't say it, Randy. Hey, listen. 
This wears out. This body is going to wear out one day and this body is going to die. It may not die. It may not die of a horrible disease. It may not. I may live to be 90 and just die of old age because my heart just gives out. But it's appointed unto man wants to die. But my soul, listen, this is, this is old stuff, but it needs to be fresh. But my soul's gonna live forever. And to look unto Christ and to believe on Him as the Savior of my soul and the one who rids me of all my sin is the one thing that I've gotta believe. It's the one thing that I gotta believe. Yes, I believe God is creator of the world, but do I fully trust Him that that crazy plan for His Son to die on the cross is true? And that's the only way. You can come here and we can have a worship service and we can praise and we can sing and we can laugh, but it's all for nothing if Jesus isn't our Savior, if our faith and trust isn't in Him. So the first step of faith we make is to place our faith and trust in Him. Repent, confess of our sins, and trust that He's going to do what He said He would do. And so we have full trust and confidence in His Word. And then, we just offer Him our life. Say, God, You saved me. Here I am, I come to serve You. When we're tempted to pursue greatness, we have to look at the real definition of what greatness is. And the real definition of greatness is God. Our faith and trust in Him. And He'll lead us. He will guide us. There'll be times of struggle. There'll be times of pain. There'll be times of victory. But ultimately, God is faithful. And He's called us all to live and to follow Him by faith. Let's pray.